Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I love what you guys have done with the place. This is amazing. I tell you, Shane's been working hard all morning. He maybe should get a hand of applause just for getting us here today, right, Shane? <laughs> you have no idea the kind of work that guys sometimes have to put in in the early morning hours and the, the seconds before the service in order to pull it off. And here we are. And Shane, good switch with the mic, too. That was amazing. Because we needed your leadership of that voice on that song, for sure. If you don't know me, my name is Troy Nesbitt, and I direct the Salt Network, which Stonebridge is a part of. You're one of 12 churches in our network, and what we do is we plant churches all across North America, primarily at University City Communities. And I want to give you a little update before we get into Acts chapter 8. And if you're bored with this update, just go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 8, begin reading it. There's a lot of stuff in there. I'm going to have to talk really quickly to get through it. And I might just slow down and say, hey, we can't get it all. We need to touch on some very important things. So we'll see. But I want to first give a report on our newest churches. We planted a church this year at Lawrence, Kansas. Go Jayhawks. <laughs> Never get that. Uh, and we planted a church uh, in Madison, Wisconsin. Go Badgers. My goal is to keep playing churches till we win every place, right? We win national championships year after year, and both those churches are doing great. Already, they've had multiple baptism services. Um, they're renting out facilities, a salt company in both of those places, which is our ministry to students, um, is pushing over 100. God is changing lives, and it's just amazing what God is doing in those new church plants. Um, our newer churches that were planted a year ago uh, already are moving into uh, new facilities, uh, Salt City Church at uh, University of Minnesota. Go Badgers or uh, go Gophers. That's hard to say, <laughs> Gopher. Who would want to be that, right? Uh, and they're not very good either, but they're doing amazing. Uh, they just moved into facility, and like you guys, they're going to double services, and God is doing extraordinary things there. And also at Penn State, go Lions. It's just... I mean, the, <laughs> it's, it's also going great. And uh, I would just encourage you, if you want to pray for one church in our network, and I hope you set your alarms and pray every day at 10.02 for God to do more and more. Pray for Penn State. Pray for Wellspring Church and pray for Salt Company there. Not because they're doing poorly, but because our lead planter there, his wife uh, has been sick for two decades and her illness just keeps getting worse and worse. She has about three healthy hours a day. And other than that, and so it just puts a lot of strain and stress on that lead planter. And so please be praying for the Lutzes. I would encourage you to do that. But the last thing I want to share about the network is we've decided next year we're going to be planting University of Florida. Some of you guys are excited about that, right? Gainesville. Um, that's the swamp. I heard this week that they just caught the record uh, uh, python, let's see, it was uh, Burmese python in Florida. They just euthanized it. It was 17 feet long, over 120 pounds, and they're not native to that land, and so they're literally t taking over and killing pets and those kind of things. So the guy who euthanized it, the snake actually had its arm in its mouth. And uh, yeah, crazy story, but we're going to send church planters down there, University of Florida. Uh, and our church planner who's going is actually the guy who went and planted you and I, Paul Sabino. 
Maybe you guys know him. So Paul is gathering his team. He and Ryan Hill are going down there. They're going to be planting fall of 2019. And then we also have a team, Austin Wadlow's headed to Michigan State, East Lansing. And both of those teams are being built and are ready to go. And we'll be launching them out in 2019. So just so you know, you guys are doing that, believe it or not. And as you give to the SALT Network and as you give to the movement of what God is doing through your mission's effort, you're not just impacting Boone, Iowa. You literally are sending resources and people into those places. And so when you're watching your television today and you see any of those teams, you can say, yeah, I had something to do with that. But uh, maybe you should do more. I don't know. Let's look at our text today. Acts chapter 8. And you know what happened? Let me bring you up to speed here. Uh, Stephen, who was a deacon, a leader in the first century church, just what happened to him? Yeah, he just got stoned in the old-fashioned way, okay? <laughs> Which means they picked up rocks and threw him at him until he died. And there was a key figure who was the authoritative influence that allowed that to happen, and his name was what? Saul of Tarsus, who later is in chapter 9 going to get saved and God is going to use him to do extraordinary things. He was going to be the church planting beast of the first century. Okay? But he was the one who stood with authority and watched Stephen get stoned and watched Stephen reach up into heaven and take his last breath. And the church responded with tremendous fear. And we see that After Stephen was stoned, Paul was gaining energy as Saul, and he wanted to kill them all. Imagine if your leaders were stoned, and then the one with authority decided to kill all of you. So they did what normal people would do, verse 4. So those who were scattered went to different regions, and here's what they did. They went on their way preaching the message of the gospel or the good news. I could preach all of our time on this verse. Because what you need to know is the movement of the gospel never takes place on the backs of the most influential leaders in the life of the church. The movement of the gospels takes place when everybody assumes the responsibility of the gospel and preaches the gospel wherever they go. The best sermons that you've ever heard are occasional sermons. In fact, all of Jesus' sermons were occasional sermons. He would say to his disciples, you see that tree? And then he would preach a sermon. You see those fields? He would preach a sermon. And as you go from this place, if you want gospel movement to take place in Boone, it's going to be on your back and not Joey's and Matt's. In your workplace, in your school, in your family, in your home. And what it says here is those who were scattered and who didn't go. This is weird, isn't it? The apostles. They stayed in Jerusalem. Peter, James, John, Andrew. Those good disciples, you would think they would have had fear too. But no, they didn't. They stayed in Jerusalem because they had established a church there that was in some sense Jewish and was fortified in Jerusalem. But those who were outside... These, like Philip, who we're about to learn about, and Stephen and others were scattered, and everywhere they went, the gospel went with them. Isn't that cool? Where are you going this week? 
The question is, is the gospel going with you? When is the last time that you shared the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ which saves with somebody that you know? Well, Philip, we're going to see in verse 5, he did this. So he went down to the city of Samaria, and he proclaimed the Messiah to them. And the crowds prayed attention with one mind to what Philip said, and they heard and they saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed by demons, and many who were paralyzed and lamed were healed. So the city was full of great joy. Now let's review a little bit. I'm sure that Matt and Joey have taught you that the theme verse for Acts is Acts 1.8. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, which that had happened. Acts chapter 2. In Judea, the surrounding regions. And then where? Samaria. And then where? To the ends of the earth. And we're going to see in the later parts of this chapter... Now Philip is going to go and he's going to evangelize the Ethiopian eunuch who literally is going to take the gospel to all of Africa. And we're going to see in Acts chapter 10 the gospel going to the Gentiles. But now we see Philip goes to Samaria, a place that Jews normally wouldn't go. In fact, Jesus' disciples were very confused and frustrated that he would share the good news with the Samaritan woman. The theme of our network is Luke 10, 2. And if you don't set your alarms at, at uh, 10, 02 every day and pray, then probably you're not being very obedient to God or the leaders in your church because the one thing that Jesus asked us to pray for was laborers to be sent out in the harvest. You know that, right? See the fields, they're white under harvest. It's Luke 10, 2. It's also in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, a different occasion. And then it's also in John chapter 4, where Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman, and she literally, after believing in Jesus, went back to her city and won the whole town. And the disciples came out to Jesus, and they said, what are you doing? And here's what they were saying. Why are you talking to this woman? And why are you talking to Samaritan? And why are you talking to this woman who is a Samaritan? And here's what Jesus said. Pick up your heads. Can you not see the fields white unto harvest? I love the first song we sang. Which one of us is worthy of the gospel. Who deserves to be saved? No one. And Jesus died for everyone, and so the gap between the best person in the world and the worst person in the world to God is paper thin. And any gap that you have in your life between this person and that person is a misunderstanding of the gospel. And Philip got it right. And so he went to Samaria to preach the gospel at the command of Jesus because he told the disciples, lift up your heads. The Samaritans need the gospel. And the Holy Spirit is planting the church. Jerusalem is established. Judea is being established. And now Samaria. And literally it's going to go to the ends of the earth. You remember Acts chapter 6? Who was this man, Philip? Well, he was someone who was working hard in the church who displayed that he was filled with the Spirit 
and he loved Jesus, and so he was ministering to those in the church. And who was the first one listed in Acts chapter 6? Stephen, now he's dead. And Philip's thinking, hey, if the end of my life is going to be a stoning, it's going to be a stoning going to places who haven't heard the message yet. And the message of the gospel was powerful in him. Look, he was preaching the gospel, and he was performing miracles, casting out demons, and they were coming out with loud voices. What did that sound like? Crying out. You know, is that like, like some kind of horror movie? And it's interesting. We're going to look at it here in a little bit because we're going to learn about a different guy, Simon. And Simon was the hero of the text before Philip became the hero of Samaria. Uh, of Samaria. And we're going we're gonna to look at that. I won't, I'll just throw that out there and say we're going to get that. But he was preaching the good news, and he was performing miracles. Guys, uh, Matt and Joey, have they been preaching the gospel? Have you been preaching the gospel? Hopefully you have. Oh. Have they been healing the sick, casting out demons, performing miracles? Is everybody talking about Stonebreak Church? If, you got, if you're lame or demon-possessed, or something like this, just come see Matt or Joey. They'll take care of business. <laughs> Is there a problem? Why did Philip have something and Matt and Joey don't? And often we read the book of Acts, and we see these supernatural things that God is doing, and it's about to be crazier, even in this chapter. And we begin to say, wow, if Philip was doing that, then I should be doing that. And if Philip was casting out demons, then I should be casting out demons. If Philip was healing the sick, I should be healing the sick. And you know what? That's good logic. If you know somebody that's full of demons, you should ask that God would release them from those. If you know someone that's sick, you should ask God to heal them. But the normative pattern of the gospel is the best healing that people can get is when they hear the gospel and believe and they're ultimately healed for eternity because what's the greatest sickness we have in our life it's the sin that condemns us to hell and what is the ultimate healing it's the gospel the message that jesus and jesus alone saves and what is your life if you live a hundred years it's a mist that appears for a little while and then is gone and what is your life if you live for five months and three days it's a mist that appears for a little while and then it's gone and what is the difference in the perspective of god and we're going to see, even in this text, that we are so easily distracted by the brevity of our life in light of the eternity of an eternal God that we try to reduce God to the moments of our breaths rather than understand the reality of the gospel. And what we see often in Acts is the Holy Spirit planting the church. And it is descriptive. It is not prescriptive. It is describing what happened but is not normative for the future is that what the apostle paul was doing yeah he did it a little bit is that what he encouraged the other pastors to do who were sent out with the message of the gospel never not at all let's go on the whole city responded i love that revival was taking place in the city and it says that joy overwhelmed the whole city and i have a question for you why you think they were more excited about the gospel or you think they were more excited for the healing of the lame and the demon says and the broken. Well, the obvious answer is uh, they were more excited about the second thing. (laughs) 
And wasn't that the same thing that happened with Jesus? What drew the crowd for Jesus? Wasn't it the healings? Wasn't it the miracles? Wasn't it the feedings? Wasn't it the signs and the wonders? And the crowd gathered. And then Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, unless you do what I do and are willing to go where I'm going, you cannot be my disciple. And what happened to the crowd then? Even Jesus, what happened to the crowd? It dispersed. Because we so often confuse the gospel to be limited to the breaths that I will take. And we don't pursue God so that he can be our God. We pursue God so that we can have a God-like power to fix everything in our life. And so these people, even in Samaria, like the people in Boone, if Matt and Joey would begin to heal everybody, were filled with joy, but they might not have been filled with the gospel. Look at verse 9. A man named Simon... And Luke's going to set this up well as he writes the story. He had previously practiced sorcery in the city. That's probably why so many people were demon-possessed. I just add that little commentary. And he astounded Samaritan people while he himself was claiming to be somebody great. Rather than doing it in someone else's power, he was doing it in his own power. And they all paid attention to him from the least of them to the greatest of them. And they said, this man is called the great power of God he definitely was doing things supernatural but those supernatural things were not the power of God they were the power of the evil one and they were attentive to him look what it says and he astounded them with his sorceries for a long time and when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus not about Philip and he preached it about the kingdom of God and Jesus. Both men and women were believing and were baptized. Then, unbelievably, even Simon himself believed. And after he was baptized, he went around constantly with Philip. And he was astounded as he observed the signs, the great miracles that they were being performed. Do you see what's happening here? <laughs> The people who believed, what was their first response to believing? Obedience to Jesus and being baptized. And even Simon believed. Who in Boone is the least likely person in Boone to get saved? You guys have somebody in your mind? Okay, let's don't do Boone. Who in your family is the least likely person in your family to get saved? that person who you perceive to be far from God. And what would God have to do to draw them close? See, Luke is setting this up great because earlier in this chapter, he has introduced us to Saul. Guys, I want to say to you that the Bible would declare to you that the least likely person of all time to ever get saved was this guy who's about to become the Apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus. And in fact, he says in the last letter he ever wrote that God could prove through me that he could save anybody because I was the worst of sinners. 
And he wasn't just saying that because he had matured in his faith and he recognized how broken and sinful he was. He was saying that literally because he took on as a job slaughtering people who would be gathered like this today. We have some of that going on, don't we? We live in a very broken culture. And where is the rage presenting itself? Places of worship? And Simon, this sorcerer who is a leader of evil and sorcery, now he's seeing what God is doing. He's seeing the people's lives being changed. He's seeing the very demons that he helped get in them be cast out of them. And he's seeing real life and they're believing in Jesus and they're being baptized. And he's attracted to that. But he's more attracted to the man with the power, Philip. And so you see how he's just walking around following Philip? And he's amazed with what he's doing. He's going through the motions but he's got something still very broken in his heart. What was Simon's desire? Was he pursuing God for God's sake? My mom used to always say that when I was a kid. Troy, what are you doing for heaven's sake? You know, <laughs> your parents ever say that to you? That's another way to say it. For God's sake. Well, you think about it, and the answer was, uh, well, I was really messing up. I'm not doing anything for heaven's sake or anything for God's sake. In fact, I do everything for my sake, for my good. And now I'm in trouble with you because the world doesn't evolve around me. And you think that I need to be a responsible human in the family. And so when I'm doing something irresponsible in the family, you say, for heaven's sake. What you meant is, Grow up and at least do something for someone other than yourself. But it's actually a good thing to ponder, right? What in the world are you doing for heaven's sake? Because you will take your last breath sooner than you know it. And only that will matter. And here was Simon, the sorcerer, who even wanted to pursue heaven for Simon's sake. Let's go on and in the text. Oh, it's so important. Verse 14, the apostles got the news. It says they were in Jerusalem because, remember, they weren't scattered. I don't know why they were so safe. And they heard that the Samaria had welcomed God's message, so they sent Peter and John to them. Guys, this is so important for you to get. Let's read the paragraph, and then we'll get on. And after they went down there, they, Peter and John, prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit. Now you want to put an exclamation there because now you're a little confused. For he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Oh, hmm. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, if you don't have any questions, you weren't listening to what I just read. Or you've studied this out and you have the answers. Okay? First thing I want to say is Peter and John heard and they came down to see what the Samaritans were, what was happening to the Samaritans. But here's what you need to know, guys. Peter and John had issues.
You know what they struggled with? They struggled to believe that a non-Jew could be saved. Letting that sink in. And Paul, after he gets converted, is later, much later than this, going to have to go back to Jerusalem to prove that non-Jews can be saved. And who's he trying to prove it to? Peter and John and Andrew and James. Because they were confused even when we were walking around with Jesus. And Jesus keeps dropping, dropping nuggets of the gospel truth that's saying everybody can be saved. I did not come just to save the Jews. I am not a Messiah for the Jews to conquer this world and to live in this life as though that all that matters. I am the Savior of the world, the creator of the universe. And I want you to know that even Peter and John, still in Acts, had issues. And a big piece was not them transferring the power of the Holy Spirit, but a big piece was them seeing people be saved and receiving the Holy Spirit because they knew that's what happened to them that made them saved. And every time in the gospel, in the Acts account, that a new people group is going to be saved, there's going to be evidence of signs and wonders and the supernatural power of the gospel, evidence to the speaking in tongues and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And it was more for the Jews who were existing in that day than any other thing. You know, the Pentecostals in our day, here's what they say. Well, you see, there's the second baptism right there, Matt. They were baptized in the name of Jesus. What are you going to baptize people in today, Matt? Somebody else's name? Why wasn't that enough? You remember the people who were baptized in Acts already who had only received the baptism of John and they were rebaptized in the name of Jesus. And what happened? They received the Holy Spirit. And Peter, who understood later his confusion, he says, baptism is not the removal of anything sinful or the ritual act. It is the confession of faith to God that saves and John read it clear in 1 John. What do you want to know? How do you receive the Holy Spirit? You receive the Holy Spirit when you truly believe. When you believe, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. They believed in Jesus. They believed in the Holy Spirit. But it was for this visual evidence for the apostles more than anybody, I believe, that they received the Holy Spirit at the laying on of their hands. Once again, this is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. Can you find outside of Acts anywhere it says, okay, you've got to get people to believe in Jesus and then be baptized and then get some really spiritual people to come lay hands on them so they can receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, wait a second. No, that is a heresy that goes on in our culture. We even call that movement Pentecostalism. They believe that you believe in Jesus and are saved, but... Until you receive the gift of tongues and are baptized by the Holy Spirit, you are not truly filled with God. You guys know people speak in tongues? I do. I love them dearly. Are they more saved than those of us who don't speak in tongues? Are they better? 
Do they have more? No, Paul would write later, no. <laughs> that is just an, a gift of the Spirit. In fact, it was the most confusing gift to the Corinthian church. The reason we have the book of 1 Corinthians primarily is because of the abuse of that gift. We can talk about that longer, but we have more things to say. How do we know we're saved? Have you believed? Is the gospel alive in you? Does baptism do anything for you? No. But is baptism a sign of obedience? Yes. And when is the pattern of the New Testament baptism? Is it to baptize everybody that's born? No. It's to baptize people who believe, who are professing their faith in Jesus. And I love it. Today we're going to have baptism. Guys, I was baptized as an infant. I was just six. Right? Baptists have this practice. We baptize infants. We just wait till they're six or seven. Right? If my dad was an Islamic imam, imam, or a Buddhist monk, well, that would be hard, but when I was six or seven, you know what I would have professed? Whatever he taught me. That's why the great reformers had confirmation. Because when do you actually begin to make your own decisions in life? When do you actually begin to stand for yourself? When would you stand before God and give an account to God of what you have done? We've recognized, and there's a pattern in our country, that over 70% of the children raised in the church, in the Christian church today, walk away from Jesus in college. 70%. Now, is that because the church is broken? Well, sometimes. But whose responsibility are raising children in the home? Is that the church's home responsibility? Our job is to equip parents to raise their kids to know, love, and follow Jesus. It's really hard to do that if you're not raised by true Christ followers. But when a person comes to faith in college, what are the percentage of those people who are still walking with Jesus at the end of the road? The vast majority, it's almost first, 70% of them are still getting it. That's why we're going after the college campus. They profess their faith and they believe. When I was 18, I got baptized again. Why? Because I understood in the gospel. And it wasn't something that my parents did for me. It's something I did for myself. Because I believed and I was choosing to be a follower of Jesus. Look what happened with Simon. We've got to get back to him, verse 18. We only got a few handful of minutes. So much here in this text, Matt, I'd like to talk about. We'll talk about it maybe a little more in the second service. So stay again. When Simon saw the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of hands, the apostles' hands, he offered them money. <laughs> like they, oh my goodness. Is this crazy? Give me this power so that anyone I lay my hands on can receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter told him, I love this, may your silver be destroyed with you because you thought the gift of God 
could be obtained with money. What is the gift of God? How did Paul, or how did Peter describe it? It's the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 19? Bad dads want to give their kids great gifts. How much more does your heavenly Father want to give you the Holy Spirit when you believe? Whoever has the Spirit has life. Whoever doesn't have the Spirit doesn't have life. The evidence of gospel reality is the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And it's not primarily evidenced by the praying in tongues or any supernatural miracles that we can perform. It's primarily evidenced by the gift, by the confession of a clear conscience before God, knowing that you're broken before God, knowing that without Him you would be lost and destined to hell. It is the confession of faith for a clear conscience. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of the righteousness of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who lets us know, apart from Him, we could not stand in the presence of God without judgment. And Simon thought he could buy that with money. And Peter said, no, not happening, not today. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Guys, Simon had just been baptized. The church was in... Oh, even Simon believed. What was his motivation? Well, I can't know for sure. It's not fully there. It seems to be, though. He was the man in Samaria before Philip came in, and he was talking about how awesome he was, and he was drawing attention to himself, and he actually liked that. And now Philip comes in, and Philip is not talking about himself. He's talking about this other guy, Jesus. And he doesn't care about himself. He cares about the kingdom of God. And so Philip is graining ground and he's not actually wanting it. And Simon has lost something that he had before and now he wants it back. And he's just saw a different power and a different way to get that. And when the apostles came, here's what they said. They called him out and said, your heart is very broken and you don't have the gift yet. And I don't care what you do. I don't care how many services you attend. I don't care how many times you've been baptized. If you don't have the Holy Spirit living in your life, guess what? You're going to stand before God and you're going to be empty-handed. And I believe in that moment, Peter called Simon to repentance. Look what he said. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness, literally envy, and bound by iniquity, still caught up in your sin, primarily greed. And I think Simon in his brokenness said, please, pray to the Lord for me, so nothing that you have said may happen to me. In verse 25, then, after they had testified and spoken the message of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem. This is Peter and John. <laughs> and here's the crazy thing that they did. This is awesome. They, Peter and John, evangelized many villages of the Samaritans. 
They weren't doing that in Jerusalem, guys. They had seen something that was the work of God. And then you know what's going to happen? You're going to see it. Acts chapter 10. Hold on for a couple weeks. You're going to get there. You're going to see how broken Peter is. Because he is confused. Man. Jesus can save non-Jews? Yes! Yes, Peter. People don't look like you. People don't have your culture. People don't act like you. Jesus is the Savior of the world, not just you. You can't convert them to you. But in that moment, Peter and John got it, didn't they? Because all the way home, they were evangelizing the Samaritans. And then you know what? When they got to Jerusalem, you're going to see later, Acts 15, they actually stopped talking about it because they were almost embarrassed because of the brokenness in them still. You're going to see that, but we don't have time to get to that today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for those who have believed and want to declare their faith in baptism. There's no more beautiful picture than that. To identify with your life, your death, your burial, and then your second coming through the resurrection. Wow. God, I pray that we'll look at that picture again and again and again, and we will say, me again, Lord. Death to me, life to you. Let my life reflect the fact that I know that you're coming again. Lord, we're all broken. Thank you for the testimony of Philip who will leave that gospel witness and will go to preach the gospel to one man who will take the gospel to Africa. What a, what a great story is coming next. And thank you for Stephen's testimony that actually probably softened Paul's heart a little bit. Thank you for the movement of the Holy Spirit in the first century to the Jews and to the Samaritans and to the Gentiles and literally to the ends of the earth, to the Romans. And thank you for the movement of God today that is for all peoples, even Americans, even us. And may we be your laborers in the fields that are wider in the harvest until you come again with every breath because this life is not about us, it's about you. And only when we get that do we live right. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.